0: If you asked 10-year-old Amy what her favorite book was, she would say Fear Street Saga's number two, House of Whispers. What was it about this specific Fear Street book that appealed to me? Was it the Civil War setting? Was it the rivalry between young sisters Hannah and Julia? The presence of three boys who only exist for a short scene and are never seen again? And speaking of boys, was it the love interest with the dark secret and an eye patch? Or, more likely, was it the use of tarot cards, something I collect in my adulthood as a plot device? Could it be the gore, something novel to a young girl discovering death, while those last two contributed to my devotion to this book, the most obvious reason for my affection is that the main character is named Amy. Does this book hold up? Let's explore 10-year-old Amy's, the person, not the book character, her favorite book, and maybe, along the way, remind me why I got a reputation for being creepy in school. This is rereading my childhood, Fair Street Sagas number 2, House of Whispers. In the fall of 1863, young Amy Pierce travels to live with her cousin, Angelica Fear, in New Orleans. That's right, folks. We're following the people who wanted to expand chattel slavery into the West. It's not discussed in this book, but it does diminish character sympathy when I know they're fine with people as property. The carriage driver warns Amy about the fears and fulfills his role as the Crazy Ralph of the book. You're going to care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph. Get out of here. Go on, get Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. We meet Angelica Fear and her two daughters, Julia and Hannah. Julia is the timid one whom Amy immediately identifies with, while Hannah is the more outgoing one. We also meet Nellie the Maid, who strongly resembles a slave, and it's never addressed in the book, but the implication is there. It's 11 pages before we get our first cliffhanger. I think that's a record. Stein is exercising restraint in this one, It's a face in the mirror, but it's just Julia, who is coming into Amy's room to be cryptic. Amy, the girl hesitated for a moment. I I do not open your bedroom door at night when everyone is asleep. Amy heard Julia's voice crack, no matter what you hear. What? Why not? Amy exclaimed. It is not safe. Julia wrapped her arms around herself. It is not safe. I saw the shadows in the hall move, Julia said. They whirled into a black, smoky column filled with faces. Faces without eyes. Faces without skin. Faces covered in oozing sores. Faces burned until they were black. That's a pretty creepy thing to say, Julia. Cool, but creepy. When Julia has finished creeping everyone out and leaves, Amy hears a noise behind her door. She ignores Julia's warning ten minutes later and flings open the door. There's nothing. Of course there's nothing. The next morning... Angelica invites Amy into the library and shows her guests tarot cards. When Amy picks up the card, she shuffles madly as the cards take over her body. Angelica is super excited and says, in every generation of Pierce women, one or two are born with a special power. You'd think Amy's mother would have told her this if it's as consistent as every generation. Amy runs away because quick shuffling is too much for her. She would hate trick shuffling. In Vegas, she would just freak out, and run screaming. She should do that now, but not for card-related reasons. She goes outside to play with the children, and we get to meet Angelica's three sons, Joseph, Robert, and Brandon. And that's a wrap on the boys. Let's give them a hand for their hard 15 minutes of work. They've been real professionals. I'm not joking. Well, I'm joking a little. But that's it for the boys. Later, it's referenced that they're playing war, and none of them want to be Yankees. So they all play the soldiers who betrayed our country because they wanted to own people. Anyway, during a game of hide-and-seek, Amy gets lost among the greenery and trellises. She eventually hears a shrill scream from the garden next door. Amy finds an old woman and a snake. Amy kills the snake with a nearby garden hoe. The old woman, Claire Hathaway, is grateful and we also meet her son, David, who has an eye patch and a sling. Angelica says he is dangerous and warns Amy to stay away from him. Apparently, he escaped a Union prison and has killed and will kill again, so our romantic lead fought for the Confederacy. It's becoming clear that I did not think about the issues that underpin this book." Amy joins Claire for tea, and David is there. Apropos of nothing, Amy exclaims that she still wants to jump David's bones, even if some of those bones are a little brittle right now and he ain't got no eye. While they're flirting at an acceptable level for a 90s young adult novel, they hear a crash and a scream. Nellie has fallen out of the window. The description of her mangled body and face is so graphic, I don't want to quote it for fear of demonetization. As if I did these for money. As if I got any money from these. Morbidly, this is what I liked about the Fair Street Sagas over the mainline series. Stein didn't shy away from the violence. There was no implication, no off-screen death. This is especially relevant now. PG-13 has all the violence of an R-rated movie, but without the consequence. We don't see the consequences of violence, just the violence itself. It's crazy to read something in a book for 13-year-olds that would never be shown in a PG-13 movie. Although, when I read these as a kid, it was more for bloodlust. As an adult, I could see the fun and humor and violence. I am, after all, a big fan of Friday the 13th. So much so that if a random person named a Friday the 13th movie and a name, I could probably tell them how they died. Friday the 13th 6th, Court. First of all, it's Jason Lives, Friday the 13th, Part 6, and Knife Through the Temple. However, there may be people who don't understand the appeal of horror, and that's fine, I'm not here to change your mind. And if I did want to change your mind, I wouldn't do it with this book. Anyway, Amy figures out that Nellie fell from Angelica's study. She talks to the cards, and she keeps seeing the death card. Not the Ten of Swords, for those of you tarot-inclined folks who are about to tell me that the death card doesn't mean actual death. Don't DM me, I know. David shows up and has the privilege of saying that Nellie's death was no accident. Classic horror dialogue. Just because a maid died doesn't mean they can't have a good ol' antebellum-style ball. We meet some of the local women. Chantal, a blonde who with the hots for David. And Bernice, a woman who is on fire. Well, she's not on fire for a few pages of the ball, but once she's on fire, boy, she's on fire. Literally. Her skin melts and everything. She took fire burning on the dance floor seriously. I'll take my decades-old song references in my insensitivity and take my leave. After seeing a good friend fall out of the window and an acquaintance on fire, Amy is understandably distraught. In the middle of the night, David shows up at her window. Of course, Amy sneaks out and they run off to the middle of a garden, far away from the house, and David tells her what happened during the dance. Everything she touched started to burn, he continued. I thought I knew every terrible way to die, but I did not. Bernice's death was the worst I've ever seen. Amy put her arms around him. She hung on tight. His breath went out in a long, shuddering sigh. Amy, he murmured, his voice low and intense. He pulled his head back and stared down at her. Then he kissed her. His lips felt warm and hard. Oh, man, I've seen so much death. I'm so broken. Let's make out. Then he says that Amy shouldn't trust anyone, including him, because he's our red herring and he has to say that. And it's the end of part one. Yes, the end of Part 1, on page 78. In Part 2, Amy sees a vision of David shoving Chantal into the lake. Our protagonist finds her dead, drowned in the lake. Amy determines that David is the killer, even though he ran off at the end of Part 1 for unknown plot-related reasons and hasn't returned yet. Amy consults the tarot cards, but for some reason, When she gets close to them, she's completely frozen. She cannot move, and she is slowly freezing in the middle of a mansion in the antebellum version of the suburbs. She focused all her attention on that small glowing ember inside her. The cards called her, even through the awful cold. If she could only reach them, she had a chance. Oh, but she was cold, so cold. She did not think she could make her body obey her again. She had to try. Either that or give up and allow the cold to take her completely. I. Will. Not. Give up, she gasped. She forces her way to the cards, pushing through the cold, forcing her legs to move through sheer fire and willpower. When she reaches the cards, they give her the strength and warmth she needs. It's beautiful. A young woman overcomes an obstacle with her innate strength. And it's as much character growth as we're going to get, and I'm perfectly happy with it. The cards tell her that David killed Chantal and is going to kill his mother next. Amy rushes over to the Hathaway residence next door. She finds Mrs. Hathaway in a trance at the top of the stairs. David appears behind his mother. Amy thinks that he's going to push her, but he pulls his mother away from the stairs instead. She was sleepwalking. Because David saved his mother, somehow, Amy knows that he didn't kill the other girls, even though the cards in the visions tell her that he did. But we'll get to that. David finally indulges his sordid past. He promised to keep a 14-year-old soldier safe, and the kid got killed. Where the Union prison comes in, I have no idea. Amy is reassured, and so is the reader, because we're finally at the climax. David urges Amy to stay with him, but Amy says that if Angelica suspects something is amiss, she would take it out on the Hathaways. Amy goes back to the house and finds Angelica in the doorway. The lady of the house pulls Amy in and sends her to her room. In the middle of the night, Amy's doorknob turns. It's just Julia. She gives Amy a letter she found in the ash pile behind the house. It's a letter from Amy's mother that Angelica intercepted and intended to hide from her. Not very well if a seven-year-old found it. Amy tries to go to David, but Angelica is waiting for her and goes full-on World of Warcraft boss complete with phases. And all my WoW references are pre-Cata, I'm sorry. Also, Blizzard sucks as a company and her terrible people. In the first phase, Angelica summons Wind and leaves Swirl around her. Also she puts a barrier of green eyes around the party, so Hunters, I know you'll have some trouble. Rogues, try to stay behind her but they'll probably get hit with her leaf AOE. The healers should focus their hots on the rogues. There's a cutscene before Phase 2 where in the party temporarily gets away from Angelica and meets up with David. He asks the party to trust him. Make sure to type slash yes for the trust buff. In Phase 2, Angelica spawns an extra mob, a column of smoke. Angelica will explain the smoke monster as well as her motivations. That column holds my spirits, my friends, my guys. Some of them have been with me since I was very young. Once I was like you, frightened of the power inside me, but not anymore. I was so looking forward to having another powerful, pierce woman in the family, Angelica explained. We could have done so much together. You have missed an incredible opportunity by turning against me. To be evil, she asked. Amy knew the door behind her was locked, and if she tried to run past Angelica, the spirits would swoop down on her. There is great power in evil, Angelica replied. Oh, Amy, you could have had anything you wanted. Well, anything but David, she added. I am saving him for Hannah. The Hathaways are very wealthy. David will marry Hannah and bring that fortune for the fears. David will do what I tell him. I know you killed them all, Amy whispered. Nellie, Bernice, Chantal... Of course, Angelica replied. Death pleases my spirits, and it adds to my power. The Column of Smoke moves toward the party. We just have to heal through it. It engulfs everyone, and we can see the faces of the people it had fed upon in their horrible, distended faces. Once we gain enough strength, we'll shoot white balls from our bodies, destroying the Column of Smoke and causing damage to Angelica, who will go into Phase 3. In this phase, Angelica will bring in David, who is seemingly under her spell. If we all have the trust buff, David snaps out of his trance and shoots Angelica. When we escape the house, Ivy will attack the party. DPS, please free the healers after you free yourself, as they have to focus on healing. We'll get a loot crate when we reach the Hathaways. David and Amy escape the mansion, and we time jump forward to David, his mother, and Amy leaving New Orleans. Amy mentions that she feels empathy for Julia, and she doesn't think that they should have left her there with that evil family that has nothing but disdain for her. David says that since Julia is a fear, she's doomed from birth. Great thinking, David. I had a great time with this book. However, it is difficult to forget that these people are from the side that wanted to keep and expand slavery into the West. If only this took place in the North, which is where I think Shadyside is located, and David escaped from a Confederate jail. If that were the case, I could enjoy this book with as much glee as I did when I was a kid. The setting puts a dark cloud over this book and makes it difficult to like the characters, especially David. The book never directly mentions slavery, nor is it an integral plot element, so there is no reason why the setting couldn't be altered. In another world, one where protagonists weren't slavers, the book is stupid, morbid fun. Horror allows us to confront death and peril without actually putting ourselves in that situation. Tension followed by a scare gives us catharsis violence alleviates anger some of these things might not make sense to people who don't understand horror but those of us who can recite the deaths in friday the 13th the final chapter know what i'm talking about and once again i wrote this before the whole blizzard thing um they're bad they're they're bad company run by bad people who are still there apparently so um don't buy things from blizzard <laughs>